And a good Monday afternoon to you. Welcome on in to the Amron Illinois Lunch Show with Klaibs and Joe, powered by Graybar, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. I am Joe Roderick, joined alongside by Mike Claiborne. Klaibs, how'd the weekend treat you? Well, it was an interesting one. A um, lot of activity as far as sports is concerned. Uh, you had a lot of football, uh, a lot of baseball. And uh, it, it was a uh, it was it was a good week. This you know this healing thing, man. This rehab thing is, I mean, I know you have to do it, but I didn't know you know. And I haven't had to rehab from anything this major in a long time. But man, your body reminds you, man. You gotta every now and then you better shut it down. So, uh, but but overall, I enjoy most of the sporting events. So here's my first question to you: Who's worse, the Dallas Cowboys or the NFL officiating? <laughs> that NFL official, I think uh, football officiating all around. Yeah, real, you know what? I think you're right. Real, real rough no, weekend. I, I, uh, that Mizzou game, that missed face mask penalty in the Mizzou game. Uh, referees kind of, you know, they, they went to London on Sunday and said, you know what? People are here to see us in this uh, Jags-Bills game. And then there were some other calls just all around that uh, were really, really questionable all weekend long. Um, just on, on both sides. Kind of makes you forget about umpires. I, I mean, you know, the, the umpire, you get the best of the best in the postseason. Angel well, Hernandez is nowhere. Well, he is hold Angel on. Hernandez is at home rehabbing in the postseason. So I don't know if it's the best of the best. Uh now maybe they have a different grading system or how you get in the postseason. Well, I look at some of those guys. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I looked at a couple of those crews, and I was like, well, maybe they had a better series than after they left St. Louis or after we finished seeing them work. Uh, and, and I get it. It's hard. You know, I can't do it for a living. But for the people who choose this field, uh, either they have too many rules or they just can't process it quick enough. And I don't know what kind of mandates they get from upstairs, but – it's hard. I don't know what's harder for me to watch the game itself and the execution or the officiating and the lack of the um, so with, with the with the umpire and in baseball. And I know we're jumping around here to start. But yesterday, for example, in the Orioles Rangers game, uh, Orioles pitcher, it was uh, Grayson Rodriguez started the game for the Orioles yesterday. And I know there was a call in the first inning that had people upset about a missed strike three call. I don't know if it's because we were so lucky we were so privileged over the years to watch Yadier Molina catch for the Cardinals but when you have a catcher setting up outside and he moves his glove all the way over to the inside corner to catch a ball 100 miles an hour or not if he's moving his glove a foot and a half you're never getting that call I agree never and that's not on the umpire in that case that's that's on the pitcher that's on the catcher for moving around I mean there's there's a lot more in play that yes, if you have robot umpiring and you have a set zone that you can call up on, yeah, that's going to be a strike. But in that moment, watching a catcher's glove move that much, no, you're never going to get that. No, I, I agree with you. Um, especially, and you make a really, really good point about setting up. If you put your glove in a spot, the umpire expects the, the pitcher to throw it near that spot, not as you mentioned over here, or over there, or up here. I mean, and and that's when he's going to give you that pitch. If you throw it close to the glove, you're normally going to get that pitch. You throw it that much where there's that much of a difference in distance, probably not. And, and, and you know, I, I think the other thing, and we don't have to harp on this umpiring thing forever. If, if the box on TV 
is not the one that, and we've heard Joe West and I've heard other umpires tell us that's not really the box to measure because it's not properly aligned. Then get it aligned. So we all have the same information. So we all can be, uh, you know, ob objective about this compared to just, you know, well, it was a strike in the box. Well, it, it, everybody tells us that box not accurate, which is why I wonder why we even have one. Yeah. Speaking of Joe West, I did see over the uh, the weekend in the uh, the Phillies game, um, the uh, the Phillies decided, or I guess it was the wild card round, they dressed up uh, somebody as Joe West to dance with the Philly fanatic. Those two had quite a history together when uh, when Joe was umpiring, and uh, the two of That's them. That's only because off. Tommy Lasorda's dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Lasorda would have been a better. Better mate in that situation, but he's dead, so you can't. Leave him. <laughs> hey, uh, this is the Ameren Illinois Lunch Show, and Claves, you and I have talked about it for a while, and I wanted to bring it up because this weekend is the Linesman Olympics. Teams from across Illinois and Missouri will compete at the Linesman Olympics in Overland Park, Kansas. Is this uh, going to be on TV? I don't, I don't know if it's going to be on TV or not. This is the 39th annual, though, International Linesman Rodeo, October 13th and 14th. It brings together the most talented line workers from utilities all around the globe to compete in events based on common tasks performed by journeyman line workers and apprentices. Ameren held a competition earlier this year to select the line workers. The uh, Ameren, Illinois folks are sending 24 linesmen, 14 apprentices, and 35 judges and committee uh, committee members over there, while Ameren, Missouri is sending 24 linemen, 12 apprentices, and 16 judges over to uh, Overland Park this weekend. I did ask, Claves because you wanted to know why it's not held in Vegas, why it's held there. Overland Park has the uh, – they, they have the space to put up all the poles and to uh, to hold – an event like this. I don't I don't know if the sphere is ready for uh, for something like this yet in Vegas. So this to me and Rammer would be good at this. You know, he used to do the firefighter challenge and you'd always see it like on Thanksgiving morning or Christmas Day on ESPN. This I, I think this would have more relevance than some of the other things that uh, ESPN puts on on a holiday, you know, where they know there's going to be a small viewing audience, because let's face it. This is some real stuff that we're talking about here uh, that everybody, again, can't do. I'd be more interested in seeing how that works and some of the stuff they put on. But, you know, I'm not in charge of that. But uh, we wish uh, our, our guys and girls from both sides of the river who are going to go represent Ameren, uh, we wish them the best and the good health as well. I mean, well, you and you can't get any trouble in Overland Park, Kansas. So everybody be back to work <laughs> on Monday. I think you. Were, I mean, you remember back in the day, ESPN would have the uh, the competitions where the guys would go. They would chop the wood. They climb down. They yeah. they would do that or the log rolling <clears> stuff like that. I would imagine. Yeah, this is similar to uh, to watching an event like that to where it's it's a spectacle to watch and it's something that the people sitting at home watching could not do at all. No, and you know, the, the sooner you admit that you can't do it, I think you can appreciate it even more. Yeah, so we will, uh, yeah, we'll have the folks at Ameren send us an update and uh, any kind of uh, pictures, videos, stuff like that that they get from the event this uh, this weekend. We'll have that for you here on Clemson. I, I have another off-the-beaten-track question for you. Um, you're a runner. You you participate in some of these triathlons, and, and I know it's a very challenging event, and one another one of which I can't do or won't do. 
I see where there was a gentleman who ran a marathon yesterday in two hours and 35 seconds. So Unreal. here's my first question. Real. Do they test at these events? I don't. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're not testing people like me that are doing this. They're not, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not doing that. But at the professional level, when these people are getting paid money to do this mm -hmm. and they have sponsors, that I don't know. I'm not sure if there well, you, is a. Can you a, look into that? Because I mean, yeah. he didn't just break the record. I mean, when you see something that glaring, where the next person runner didn't come on for like three minutes, I, I'm gonna raise a hand, call bullshit on this. Okay, that is they. So I hate running in the cold. I went up to Forest Park yesterday, ran. I had long sleeves on. I had gloves on. I was miserable. It was about 43, 45 degrees when I got started out there yesterday. I hate that. But for these professional runners, for the people that go out and and do that, they, you know, do this stuff and probably do as many races and runs as I do, the temperature yesterday was phenomenal for them. They love that. And I did see almost all the professionals yesterday set personal records. I saw uh, just regular runners, just people who have done the Chicago marathon multiple times, set personal records, personal best yesterday in that race, just because of how cold it was. I think it ended up getting to around low fifties by the time the race was over. And for an example, I ran the Chicago marathon two years ago, Claves, and it was in the eighties when I ran that and I'm running that and you're watching people just dropping like flies as, as the race is going on. And that's kind of what pushed me is I'm there mile 20 thinking I can't go anymore. And I'm looking, I'm like, well, I'm not laying on the ground like that guy. So I guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see how this mile goes and go from there. But I, I just, I don't know what performance enhancing drugs are going to do to just, I mean, two hours and 35 minutes, Klebs will run 26.2 miles. All right. So we have a podcast with Rammer and Dr. Rick. And I think that's got to be a subject that needs to be broached because yeah. he would know if there are some sort of performance enhancing. And I'm not trying to, well, I am <clears throat> because I'm questioning it because it was such a big gap. Um, and we've never seen anything like this before, but I, I gotta, you know, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I gotta, have, and you know what, if he's cheating, he's cheating. And if he's not, then even more power to him, but it's just such a big gap between, Everybody else, yeah. and as you mentioned, a lot of people had personal best. So for here you go, I, ju I did look it up for the Boston Marathon, which is coming up in April. Athletes competing in the event are subject to blood and or urine testing for any substance or method that the World Anti-Doping Agency uh, would be on the World Anti-Doping Agency prohibited list. So, yes, these uh, these athletes are drug tested, blood tested, urine tested uh, for these events if they are there for money purposes if they're there trying to so make we're assuming that this person who broke the record is running for money yes okay yeah so let's wait until maybe like wednesday or thursday when the results come back i yeah and again i don't know how that works if it's before or after you know both for something like that uh with, with that being the case but it's still just an amazing accomplishment that the uh the guy did regardless i mean still it's the same thing like hitting 73 home runs in a year i mean it's still he still put on a show yesterday the people loved it. Everyone's talking about it. So, you know. Okay, it, Barry Bonds. <laughs> I'm here to be entertained. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
Hey, um, we talked. Yeah, we told you about the folks out at Ameren. Uh, they are the title sponsors here of the Ameren Illinois Lunch Show each and every week. Let's take a quick. 30-second break. When we come back, let's dive into the MLB playoffs that are underway in the ALDS and the NLDS right here on uh, the Ameren Illinois Lunch Show with Claves and Joe here on ClavesOnline.com. Munganas St. Louis Acura has a great selection of new and certified pre-owned Acuras. Get 3.9% financing for up to 36 months on all new Acura models. Or get $1,000 in loyalty incentives on the 2023 TLX and RDX. And $750 in loyalty incentives on the 2024 Integra. Get financing as low as 1.99% for up to 36 months on certified pre-owned TLX and MDX models. Munganas St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you. Back here on the Ameren Illinois Lunch Show with Claves and Joe here on ClavesOnline.com, powered by Gray Bar, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. And Claves, earlier today, I saw that the folks out at Munganass St. Louis Acura are looking to add another sales professional to their team. They've been servicing the St. Louis area for over 30 years as a premier realtor of new and used vehicles, named the best place to work. In 2022, they are a 31-time Precision Team Award winner. That is the most in the nation. You can head to stlouisacura.com and search for the job page now to uh, make that your next career out at Munganass St. Louis Acura. Claves, we are into the uh, we are well into the baseball postseason and I, I kind of I'm treating this watching the postseason kind of the same way I watched the NFL during the Rams final few years where it's fun this year to watch good competitive baseball after watching the Cardinals all season long kind of just trudging to the end of the season and now where these games mean more the crowds are into it and except Tampa. <laughs> what they call it a group not a crowd it was a group yeah, of people it, it, Dodger Stadium wasn't sold out either. But I think with, with in L.A., you had USC playing that night and somebody else was playing. So I get it on why maybe they didn't get a full house. But uh, And it's the first round and baseball kind of falling off the front page because they haven't played in a while. But yeah, you get these you get these first round games so far, and now that we have seen into it, the only home team to win so far was Houston in those first games. Now you're getting the people complaining, saying, you know, the, the new format isn't great. The new format needs tweaked. What are your thoughts and what you've seen so far in the divisional series with the uh, road teams, the wild card teams still being able to play good baseball? Well, I think there's a couple of things we have to take into account. First of all, if you're a wild card team, that means you've been battling for a while. You, you've been in playoff mode for a couple, three weeks minimum. So you're already in a groove. You, you know how to pitch on short rest. You know how to rotate your bullpen. You know how to figure out what guys can hit in certain situations uh, compared to the teams who've had that a lot of time off and who really hadn't had a meaningful game in a month, and it's caught up to them. Uh, I don't know how you tweak this because you want to reward the team with the best record with something. I, I think the time off is probably a little too much. Uh, because we haven't seen anybody play well in that first game. Uh, so I, I don't know where the middle ground is here, but I think something needs to be reexamined. Uh, and I don't know, man, maybe you reward that team, that, that that wild card thing, man. I mean, it's real. And I think the way Philadelphia has built their team, really, I think you're going to see more teams go that route, where they're going to load up in the bullpen, 
they, they're going to get a couple of guys who can give them some quality starts, and they're going to out-hit you. Uh, but their bullpen has been the difference. Uh, we saw it firsthand when they came through St. Louis, and we saw it last year. And they're better this year than they were last year. But I really feel like that's the direction to go. And with Arizona, I was on a show on Friday. I was on with Frank on Friday. And I said, the Dodgers better be careful uh, because Arizona is that that team you did not want to face uh, because they 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 don't have enough guys who've been there. So they have no idea what to expect other than to go out and just play. And when you're at Baltimore, you're in a similar situation, but you've been in first place a lot of the season. So now you have guys who haven't been there before and now don't know how to push the reset button. So there's a lot of things that go into this, and I'm just not sure what the right answer is right now. I think it's something they have to talk about, though. That was I mean, That's exactly what I said to Rammer when, when we did a preview of this, too, is that Arizona, they have so many young guys on the team right now that they don't know that they're maybe not supposed to be there yet. They don't know that they're a year ahead of schedule, probably, with how good these young kids are playing. And when you look at their rotation, they're built for a short series. They got two guys on top that can go in there and get you playoff wins. Even though they haven't been there before, you get two guys in there who one's a Cy Young candidate, one pitched in the World Baseball Classic and was one of their top pitchers for, for the USA team back in March. So they, they have, and now with the way the schedule has worked out for them, I, I, I said right away in that Milwaukee series, if Milwaukee didn't win game one, they were in big trouble yeah. in that one because Diamondbacks had Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly going right after that. And sure enough, they were able to get through that series in two. They didn't have to pitch Merrill Kelly. They pitch him in game one and then turn right back around. Now you have Zach Gallon going tonight in game two because of how much time has been off because of the way the schedule has played for them. So now they're, they they got one win on, on, on the Dodgers now and kind of shell-shocked Clayton Kershaw in that first inning. And now you have your best pitcher going in game two. Here's a question for you, <clears throat> because we're so performance driven innings wise and pitch count. Do you have, and I don't know if you've done this yet. Oh, when you look at these pitchers and we baby them so much, some of these guys are going to reach points where they're going to be pitching beyond what their, their, uh, their normal routine would be. What I'm saying is they're going to pitch more innings than they ever pitched before. Will that have an impact, you know, as far as how far this thing goes? Because you're going to have some guys who have gone deep already this year, and now you're going to ask them to give you, what, let's say at least four more starts between now and the end of the regular season, I mean the postseason. And the innings, does it match up, or do you pitch off adrenaline and not worry about that? And I think everybody's made differently. But I'd be interested to see of your main pitchers, where are they at as far as innings pitch total compared to their career high? Yeah, that's I, I think you uh, I'm glad you mentioned the adrenaline because I think that's 100 percent what it is. It's that adrenaline and it's conditioning, too, because these guys all go into the offseason knowing what they're going to do in spring training. They're going to know what they're going to do between starts and they can easily say, OK, I know my body's good for 220 innings between April and November. But once they get to that 200 mark, that 215 mark, then it just becomes, okay, how how well have I conditioned myself to, yeah, I know I could get to that 215, 220 mark, but how well conditioned am I to get to 250 if I need to? Yeah. Is that, yeah. you know, is that something that I've taken care of myself in the weight room and done, you know, and I've done that in between starts to make sure that I am fully rested up. 
and that's the stuff that we can't sit here and we can't see. I mean, the analytics aren't going to tell you that. That that's a guy's so, work ethic at that point, and and his body makeup too, because some people's bodies, they just they, they give out on you, you know, they they let you down. So I'm looking at Zach Gallon's numbers now. He's exceeded his his previous high in innings. His previous high in innings pitch was 184. He's at 210 now. Okay, mm-hmm. 210 with more to go. So at what point does that catch up to him, or does it prove? that it's more mental than physical as far as your ability to be productive. Uh, so and I think that's something we got to look at for all these guys. As, as I said earlier, a lot of these guys, none of these guys that I like, they're all made up differently. But I think it's something we should start paying closer attention to as we get deeper into postseason. What do you what do you say about the way Clayton Kershaw and what he did? I mean, we've seen we've seen this firsthand yeah. in St. Louis with him in the postseason. It's uh, that that again. That, that is one of the best pitchers of this generation that we have seen time and time again. He gets into October and doesn't have it and gets, it gets hit hard. Yeah. It, you know, it's a, it's a head scratcher. I was talking to Tommy Pham about this on Friday. You know, I said, what kind of success? He says, you have to be careful that when you wait, he said, a lot of pitches he throws aren't strikes, but he'll chase. If you chase, he said, if you know where he's going to try and go after you at, and if you're patient, you can get him. He said, but you also have to be aggressive and look early because he's going to try and get you throw, get, get you over to get me over strike. And those are the ones that really get him in trouble if he doesn't get the call. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing about this is I don't think these guys are scared of Clayton Kershaw. You know, as good as he is, as you you, you touched on it, uh, and we'll go back to Arizona, you know, they, they, these are guys. Yeah, I remember I used to watch him on TV when I was a kid growing up. <laughs> yeah. Now I get a crack at this guy. Uh, I, I don't think they're intimidated. And I think that really worked against Kershaw because I think what happens with, with other hitters, they think too much. You know, they think, well, he's going to try and do this. So I should do that. Now you have guys that's going up. Hey, I'm looking for something I can hit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the difference lies. Corbin Carroll is 23 years old. So he was what? I mean, he was 12, 13 back when Matt Carpenter and Matt Adams were, were hitting home runs off of Clayton yeah. Kershaw in the postseason. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's facing him now thinking, hey, you know, it's 10 years ago. But, you know, but yeah. yeah, but he's a different pitcher. Right. You know, Kershaw is nowhere near what he used to be, but he's still effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think that in the bats that I saw against Kershaw, and there weren't a lot of them, uh, guys weren't trying to do too much. They weren't trying to do too much. They, they were hitting it in the zone. They saw it and they didn't try and do too much. Uh, and that's what did them in. Now, tonight's going to be different. Uh, different pitcher. By the way, so I was talking to Rambert about this yesterday as we're all over the place on baseball. Uh, is Jordan Montgomery a younger version of Lance Lynn? When you look at him physically, he's a two-pitch pitcher. He's always around the zone. He'll give you innings. Uh, he's not the most conditioned athlete that you're going to ever see, but he gets the job done. Yeah, I, that's, that is what frustrated me about this season because – I, I told you back, you know, we talked about this back in February and March that I thought he was going to become the ace of the Cardinal staff. Yeah. And it just, it never happened. It well, didn't, that's because he wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Here's the thing about that. With, with, with Montgomery, he had poor run support. Defense was a little shoddy behind him early in the season. But even with that said, he was still, he still would have been your best pitcher on this mm-hmm. team. Yeah. Still, I, I just never it, – it didn't work out here. They traded him away. We'll see how, 
you know, see how that trade looks in a, in a few years, but it, you know, he's now pitching in the postseason. He's got two wins or he's pitched in two wins for the Rangers in the, uh, in the playoffs so far. That's the, uh, the other one we haven't, we haven't even touched on the twins Astros series yet. That's the first, that's the only one that's split. That's the first time where both teams have won in a series so far in these, uh, in these playoffs. Carlos Correa yesterday passes David Ortiz and Derek Jeter for RBIs in the postseason. And which, surprised me i know he played a lot of postseason games for the astros early on but for the last couple of years hasn't yeah. played in you the know postseason. That, that's that's really odd because i didn't think of it like that i'm like you i didn't think he played that many games and i didn't know where he was that effective from an rbi standpoint but uh he's been doing something and uh, that's gonna be an interesting series because houston doesn't play well at home uh they can mash defensively they're solid their pitching is above average and they got dusty Rocco Baldelli has done a really good job with that Minnesota bunch. So that that I could easily see that being a, a best of five series. Yeah, the forecast in Minnesota for this week. Uh, oh, boy. Of, <laughs> Tuesday, it's a high of 57. Uh, but I believe that game's at night. Uh, no, that's the afternoon game. Good. That one in the afternoon for uh, for that. And then on Wednesday, a high of 58. So, yeah, it'll um, it, it'll be in the 50s up in Minnesota for all those uh, guys. You talk about Arizona not or Astros not uh, playing well at home. They got to leave the dome and they got to go way up north for the uh, for their next two games. Target Field was not built to host games in October or April. <laughs> I'm good. So uh, yeah, tonight just the National League games this evening: Phillies and Braves. In that one, you have Zach Wheeler going against Max Fried, and then in Arizona, it is Zach Gallen against Bobby Miller. In uh, the uh, the game for that, the road teams both won each of the uh, of the game one in that series. Hey, let's take another break. When we come back, move over to football, college, and pros, and we will talk about that here on the Amron Illinois Lunch Show, powered by Graybar, driven by Munganash St. Louis Acura, here on Claves Online. Can Graybar help my electrical and datacom jobs be more productive? Yep, our supply chain services are designed to do just that. Like job site services? Yep. We deliver the products you need where and when you need them, no matter your industry. What if I have technical questions? Yep. Our specialists are top-notch. Emergency support? Yep. Even after hours. They're a unicorn. When you need to keep your projects productive and profitable, rely on Graybar to help you get the job done right. No unicorns required. Yep, Graybar does that. Back here on the Amron Illinois Lunch Show with Klaibs and Joe, powered by Graybar, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Also sponsored by our friends over in Alton, Illinois, at Fast Eddie's Bonaire. Klaibs, with everything going on this weekend, I know you were stuck at home, but if uh, if only you had uh, the food menu and the TVs that Fast Eddie's uh, had to offer there in your uh, in your house. I'd never leave. Peeling these shrimp. I can eat those forever. Fast Eddie burgers. Uh, There's never a bad time for them. Coldest beer in town, no doubt about it. I mean, they have the reputation. It proves that. And if you haven't been there yet, then you're missing out. You don't have to wait until the weekend. You can go over there for lunch. You can go over there after work. They've got something going on every day. You throw in the fact that you're going to know the staff. The staff's been there forever, and they're going to know you. And one of the great things about it is uh, there are no kids. 
This isn't family <laughs> night. You got to be 21 or older. Come in and act like you have some sense, and you're going to have one of the best nights you can ever imagine at Fast Daddy's Bonaire in Alton, Illinois. Claves on Saturday in Columbia, Missouri. Brian Kelly brought his LSU Tigers into town to face Mizzou, and uh, for about three and a half quarters, uh, Mizzou looked like the better team and just uh, kind of all fell apart there at the uh, at the end. But maybe the Tigers prove that they deserve to be in the top 25 and that they are uh, going to be a force to be reckoned with in the SEC this year. Well, Eli Drinkwitz said it best. Uh, they decide their own fate because they're playing everybody outside of their, their division uh, so they can decide their own fate. <clears throat> you know, it was unfortunate. Uh, I thought Missouri's tackling got really sloppy, and I told you that earlier in the season. I didn't think their tackling was very good. and It caught up to them the other day. But there were a lot of bright spots. Uh, I'm glad the Brady Cook interception streak is over. He can start over with a new one. Uh, you know, it happens to everybody. But I thought the resilience that Missouri showed was something that they can build on. Uh, the schedule doesn't get any easier. It is the SEC. You're going to Kentucky, who got embarrassed by Georgia. They have something to prove. Uh, I think the mission for Missouri now is to try and get up into the top 12, maybe – the top 15, somewhere along that line from a ranking standpoint, that really would put you in a position to get into a quality bowl. Um, you know, that's something I think they should be working on next. But who knows, man? They could still run the table. I mean, the offense is legit. And although they, they were going up against LSU's defense, which is terrible. Uh, but you know what? Here's the thing, uh, Joe. I don't know what defenses in the country are good. I'm seeing some defenses getting shredded. Uh, oh, yeah. So I don't know. And, and, you know, you use the ranking and, you know, I'm not an advocate of ranking anyway, uh, because we really don't know how good these teams are. And what's the difference between 22 and 23 uh, as far as rankings are concerned? I mean, the 2016 ranked team in the country could come in and beat any of those teams. So it, it's something that now this is what you play for. The, the schedule is in your hands. You don't have any excuses. You just got to go play. And I, I don't know enough about the quarterbacks and the uh, the opponents they're going to be playing the rest of the year, but Jaden Daniels, the way that he just, uh, it, you know, hurt or not, I mean, the way that he just kind of put the team on his shoulders in that fourth quarter, legs and arm, and was able to just, you know, just got back-breaking runs in there where you thought you had him third and long, and then he just takes off, and there's nobody anywhere within 15 yards to touch him after that. That's yeah, that's demoralizing as a it defense. Is. When, when yeah. you think that you have them, when, when you're, when you get them on the first two downs, that third down, you're, you're closing in on him. Boom. He just slips right through. It's, you know, it, it, it crushes you. Yeah, it does. And I tip my cap to him playing hurt and just being so elusive uh, and obviously hard to tackle. Uh, I was very impressed with him uh, and, you know, There'll be Sunday to tell you he's not even the best quarterback in the, in his division. I don't know about that, but uh, it, it was really good to watch him play. Unfortunately, he did Missouri. And so we'll see what Missouri can do next week. As I mentioned, they go to Kentucky. What were your thoughts on the Johnny Walker ejection in the uh, third quarter of the game? He spit on a guy. So when case closed, I mean, they, they, they had him dead to right. You can't do it, man. I mean, you know, and I like this rule about the unsport. You do two things wrong, you're gone. Uh, you, you, you just can't have it. I mean, that's the most one of the most demoralizing things a person can do to another person. So I didn't have a problem with him getting tossed. 
We uh, we touched on it in the opening part of the show today. The uh, the miss face mask uh, when Mizzou was down in their own end and it was third and long comes right across. I mean, clearly just goes right across the face of Brady Cook and pulls his uh, pulls his face mask down. That that's one that has to be called. That can't be missed when there's that many eyes looking at the play. I, I would agree with you, <clears throat> and I think there should be an eye in the sky also. For plays that are that blatant, uh, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that there should have been someone else calling from upstairs saying, hey, look, I, I, we got one here that's blatant, and it directly involves the play. Now, yeah. if you catch a guy holding on the weak side, on the back side, and it doesn't have any impact on the play, so be it. But when you see a guy get face masks or something that could create severe injury, you got to call it, man. The, uh, the Mizzou Tigers fall out of the top 25 rankings with their uh, with their loss this weekend. A few other teams with their first loss of the year. Texas, they fall uh, to Oklahoma. I know maybe not a lot of people watching that Mizzou-LSU game because the Red River rivalry was going on at the exact same time with Oklahoma knocking off uh, Texas. Oklahoma, now they move up. They're 6-0 on the year. Your undefeated teams in the top 10 right now. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, Penn State, Washington, Oregon, and then USC comes in at number ten. Texas dropped down to uh, to number nine on those uh, on the standings there. Through those one through eight right now, are we far enough in for you to kind of get a good idea of who uh, no who the top four teams are? No, because Michigan and Ohio State haven't played anybody. If I they're mean, they, two no, and three, they, if if they're well, two Michigan, and three, I mean Ohio State played Notre Dame and Notre Dame lost to Louisville, and so I, I don't really feel like their their resume is full yet as far as how good are they. If those two are ranked two and three, come the final game, come their game at the end of the uh, November, does that does the result in that matter and knock one of those two teams out of the top four? <sighs> yeah, uh, because the other one of the two didn't play anybody. Okay. I mean, not in my opinion. I mean, let me let's put it this way. Um, when you look at who the how the SEC shakes out, you look at how the Big 12 shakes out, uh, there's more than two teams or three teams in that conference that are going to be competitive. Both of those teams other than other than Ohio State face Penn State. Yeah. Okay. So you have you have three teams. Yeah. Penn State will be undefeated when they face Ohio State on the uh, on October twenty first. They play and Penn, UMass. And Penn State and Penn State's a classic example of a schedule that would be, in my opinion, questionable to be ranked that high. So, I'm looking for a conference that's got more than three teams that are playing competitive teams and other. And again, here we go, ranked teams. Uh, I'm looking at schedules, strength of schedule now, because, you know, you, you had your, your cup of coffee with the non-conference schedule and, and some of you didn't take advantage of it. Uh, and now you're playing teams in your own conference. And granted, those are the teams on the schedule. You can't do anything about it. But, you know, if your league isn't as strong as it needs to be, then it's kind of hard to really gauge how good you are. Yeah. Right now, uh, Georgia, the only SEC team that is undefeated. On the year, they uh they have a buy or they have Vanderbilt coming up this week. Then yeah, they a got a buy. No, they got two buys in a row. <laughs> and then they are at Florida, and then home against Mizzou. After that, their uh, tests will come. Ole Miss and Tennessee. So they those four games they're right there, and those are four games right there. You have Florida. We've we've seen them play a few this year. We've seen Mizzou all of their games this year, and then Mississippi, Ole Miss, and Tennessee on the schedule. So Georgia does have 
some some tough games coming up over the next uh, the next month of the season. So um, I'll tell you, the other team you better pay attention to here is Alabama. They didn't play as well as they needed to, but if they get this thing going, they they could be a difference maker. I mean, they are committees. Uh, the committee is always going to love Alabama because of their presence. Uh, but there's, you know, it's it, again for me, it's really early to me to assess who's going to be in that final run of teams that we're going to look at as far as playoffs are concerned. Uh, one team that did not fall out of the top 25, they they landed at number 25 now in the new rankings, uh, suffering their first loss of the year. Miami, did you watch the uh, end yeah, of their I did. Game? You know, um, that's not the first time Mario Cristobal's made that mistake. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Dr. Rick Lehman about it. He's a Miami guy. And I told him, I said, you know, that's a fireball offense. And I think if, if Cristobal wasn't a Miami guy, he'd be out of a job today. Or, or, you know, or the offensive coordinator would be out of a job. There were so many recruits at that game for Miami. If yeah. you're a recruit and you're watching that, I mean, how quick, if you're another school that's up against them, how quick are you calling that kid up and saying, you really want to go play for that guy? He can't do math. Well, again, um, that's a coordinator job. That's a coordinator call. And while Cristobal might have been on the headset talking to somebody else, he trusts his coordinator to just bury it. He didn't. So I'd be, I probably would be out of a coordinator today. I haven't, no seen, yeah, I haven't seen any changes yet that have been made. You know, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Uh, it was it was tough to watch. Oh, he did it. A few By years. the way, he did, did you see? Did you see the uh, USC Arizona game? I missed that on one. Yeah, I missed what happened on that one. It may be as entertaining as anything I've seen so far this year. Which brings me to this, and I'm not a big fan of the Heisman Trophy and how it's worked uh, as far as the balloting and how the selection process takes place. But I will say this: if there's a quarterback in the country better than Caleb Williams right now. Because it's now quarterback award. Running backs seldom get it anymore. Uh, I like to know who the quarterback is because Kayla Williams checks every box on and off the field. Uh, he willed that team into winning in double overtime. Uh, it, it, he's a real credit to the game right now. So I, I, I think he really he may have as close of a chance of repeating for the Heisman Trophy than anybody I've seen. And I was around with Archie Griffin wanted the, the two times back to back. And uh that was my era. I almost, you know what? I took a visit there. <laughs> I scared I took a visit there and I said to him, I said, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> uh have you seen the reports on Caleb Williams about uh, apparently might stick around after yeah, this year again and, and you know what? has said that there are certain teams in the NFL he'll play for? Uh, do you, how much do you believe in those reports? I believe it's real, you know, and we've seen it happen before. You go back to John Elway, you go to Eli Manning. There've been guys who've been able to dictate how things work in the draft. And I say to Caleb Williams, more power to you, brother, because this game is not guaranteed as far as success is concerned. And if you go to a crappy organization that already has a crappy team and all you're going to do is be the next pin cushion for it, uh, I would think twice, or I would just say, Hey, look, I'm not signing. I'm, I'm yeah. not, I'll go back in the draft. So don't take me. Or if you do take me, you, I mean, if you do, if it's your turn to pick trade my rights to somebody else and get a haul for it. 
Yeah, if you did, if you missed it, uh, the report is that Caleb Williams, I mean, knows he can make more. Whereas his old man, his old man who floated it out there, his dad floated out there. And you know what? From an NIL standpoint, he'll make more than most rookies in the NFL next year. Yeah. He uh, Raiders, Cowboys, Vikings, Giants, and 49ers are the uh, the teams that he would reportedly play for. The franchise. So, let me ask you, run those, run those teams by me again. The uh, Raiders, they, Cowboys. Right, so, so they already got a quarterback mm-hmm. in, uh, in, L, in in Vegas. Cowboys, after that last night, I don't know whether, what, what's going to happen next there. So that might Vikings. be a spot. Viking, Kirk Cousin is really good, but I think this kid can be better. Who else? Giants. Giants. Well, Caleb Williams can't block. They need offensive. <laughs> they need some blocking. And then the and, 49ers. Well, I don't think they're going to get off of Brock Purdy because they don't have to yeah. pay him. Yeah, so uh, that's the uh, that's the report there for uh, for that. We will talk NFL when we come back here in just a bit. It's the Amron Illinois Lunch Show, powered by Gray Bar, driven by Munganash St. Louis Acura, right here on ClavesOnline.com. There's always been a bright side to living in downstate Illinois. Amron Illinois is making it even brighter with a little help from the sun. Right now, we're building a next-generation solar facility to bring you cleaner energy for generations to come. It's good for the environment, your neighborhood, and everyone living in downstate Illinois. That's brighter thinking. That's energy at work. Learn how you can participate in solar programs at AmarinIllinois.com slash renewables. So a lot of college football talk. Now we move to the NFL, This, uh, which started off this past week uh, with losing, or this past uh, for the week five, losing a legend, Dick Butkus, passes away. And uh, on Thursday afternoon, the uh, the Bears just so happened to be playing Thursday nights. And for the first time in almost a year, the Bears actually decided to play a football game uh, all the way through and beat the Commanders on Thursday, playing for, uh, I guess, to honor the uh, the late, great linebacker. First of all, you have any interactions over the years with Dick Butkus? I did. Um, I got to know him reasonably well. You know, uh, so back in the 70s and 80s, he was doing a lot of uh, light beer commercials. And my dad had a, he and some other guys had a bar and they would do these little caravans. And so one year, him... Bubba Smith and Deacon Jones all showed up. I was, God, I had to be in like the eighth grade. And they were so cool. So, so much fun to talk to. And uh, about three or four years later, I ran into him again. No, I was out of college. And I ran into him and we talked and I reminded him when I met him early on in the whole nine yards, he was nothing but nice and graceful. Uh, But, you know, obviously when he put the uniform on, he was a different person. But I think what he did for the game, he gave the game a, a a a face that wasn't a quarterback. He gave the game a a presence on how tough this thing is to really play. And uh, he made more money off the field and endorsements and everything else than he ever made as a player. He only played nine years, but in the NFL, that's a long time. Uh, but he was the epitome, and he played in an era, man, where they, you know there's a lot of guys who. They didn't get the credit and the notoriety. They were just as good as him. Tommy Nobis, Willie Lanier. Uh, who's the other guy that uh, in, in, in uh, Green Bay, and I can't think of his name. There were, there were a handful of guys, uh, Ray Nitschke, 
there were a handful of guys that were just as tough and just as good as Dick Buckus. I think the fact that he was in Chicago and he had that ferocious appearance about him, he wore those huge big butterfly shoulder pads and uh, he made guys pay and he had no problem chirping and, and making you feel like this is not going to be a good afternoon. But uh, he was a great representative of the league and the game and uh, certainly sorely going to be missed. And then I mean, he was able to transition into a career the way, in the uh, movies, too, movies and TV yeah. too. After let me, that, let me let me back up on something. You said something about the Bears being fired up because of the. There's not one guy on that team that ever knew, never even saw. Oh, I didn't say they were fired up before. I just said they honored him by actually oh, playing okay. football. Yeah, by actually well, winning I don't a even football know if game I can for say the first that. time in the year. I don't even know if I can say that because when you've been that bad for so long and somebody comes in the locker room a couple of hours before the game and says Dick Buckus died, what are you thinking about? The the memory of Dick Buckus or how am I going to block this guy in front of me tonight? So I, I'm not buying on that one. The, no, uh, that night, though, the Bears put up – I mean, that's the, – the Justin Fields numbers. Throws for 282 yards for four touchdowns, three of those going to D.J. Moore, uh, 280 yards passing, 230 of it went to DJ Moore. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I used to do when I was playing Madden in college and just threw the Torrey Holt all game, where it's yeah. just he put up 230 yards and maybe Isaac Bruce got about 50 of those after that. You know, <laughs> what's, what's funny about the DJ Moore thing, you know, Carolina didn't want him. And at last check, Clara, uh, Bryce Young doesn't have anybody to throw to. They don't have anybody on offense that's worth a damn. And for that guy to slip out of there is really a head scratcher. But, you know, maybe that's just – you know, quit trying to be cute with the offense. Now, granted, they got a lot of injuries. They have a lot of injuries on that team. But quit trying to be cute and just go after teams and see what happens. And I think we have so many guys today. And I was watching the Steelers yesterday. And they, they've gotten away from the basics of the game and, and really utilizing the strengths that they have. And, and maybe – and I, I'm not saying dumb down the playbook. This is not about whether you can adapt or not. But look, man, the great teams – and I give, I'll give you some examples like the Steelers and some other teams in the 70s and 80s uh, and even 90s. Man, they had about a half a dozen, maybe 10 plays that they ran. They moved a tight end over here. This guy go in motion, hold, and they stayed with it. They just had a different look about it instead of what we see now where guys are trying to reinvent the wheel in four quarters and you can't do it. Uh, with the rest of the NFL this past weekend, uh, which do you want to go with the good that you saw or the bad you want to saw? Which direction you want to go first with? Uh, with Let's get the saw? bad over with. Bad over with first. Uh, Patriots. I, I, Bill Belichick might just quit. It's uh, <laughs> it has been a rough two weeks for the Patriots and a rough season. They're still going to stick with Mac Jones as the quarterback. He's not the answer there. But it is very, very clear at this point that Tom Brady won them those rings. And uh, he he was what carried the Patriots all those years, not the coaching. I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, Brady was in, integral in that. But I don't think Parcells – I'm sorry, Belichick has a lot of things. He doesn't have enough defense. Uh, obviously, you know, when you think about what Brady had as far as weapons are concerned, they really weren't that great. Uh, and, and I'm of the belief that there won't be a guy on those Super Bowl teams that ever go in the Hall of Fame on offense uh, because there weren't any that were good enough. Uh, Randy Randy Moss was there for the one year, and he, was, he, was, him, going, yeah. he was going in anyway. But I think overall just the mindset of the direction of the game that Belichick is not adjusted to, uh, they haven't drafted well. Uh, that's That's been apparent. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. Now, I'm, no, I'm sure somebody's going to say, well, you know, the game's passed him by. 
I don't know if it's passed him by, but I think the the type of player that he's looking for isn't there like he used to be where they could coach him up. You don't have time to coach up guys anymore. That's the unfortunate thing about it. These guys come out of college, they're so raw that you used to be able to coach guys up. You can't do it anymore. You don't have time because the game is moving a little bit faster of a pace. The uh, Broncos also lose this past weekend again. Uh, um, they uh, that that too. That's been an ugly situation there with Sean Payton taking over the uh, the reins in Denver. And for as much as they thought Nathaniel Hackett was the problem there, it's it seems like this goes a well, lot deeper. Well, hold on. You know Nathaniel Hackett got himself fired. He made some some very sophomore decisions about how to coach. So let's not make it seem like Nathaniel Hackett didn't deserve to be fired. He did deserve to be fired. I think the big issue here is Sean Payton threw him under the bus, which didn't go over well with a lot of people. Yeah. But then, you know what? Sean Payton didn't look at the closet and realize, well, hell, I can see why this guy got fired. He can't play. He can't play. And he won't play. Uh, Russell Wilson. I So. I, I talked about Tom Brady being the, the you know, I, I said Tom Brady was the reason they won the rings in, in New England over Bill Belichick. a big part of it. So give me your assessment of Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and who was responsible for the success that Russell Wilson had in Seattle that he's not having in Denver. Well, he doesn't have Marshawn Lynch to hand it off to, first of all. Yeah. He doesn't have an offensive line that he had in Seattle in those heydays. He doesn't have the defense giving the ball back. You're damn right he doesn't. And so there's there's three reasons right there on why this isn't working. And it wasn't going to turn around overnight. I don't care how good Sean Payton is. You got to have players, man. And they don't have enough good players. They have failed miserably. And I'm going to pin this on John Elway. Everybody wants to make John Elway seem like he was some sort of football guru. He drafted some of the worst quarterbacks in the history of football. He made some real blunders on not signing certain people. How do you let a guy uh, is with Buffalo now, the defensive lineman? He Von let Miller? a couple. Yeah, oh. Von Miller go. Yeah, uh, there were a couple of other good defensive linemen that they let out of there. So this is more of an Elway blame, but because he walks on water in Colorado, they're not going to pin it on him. So Sean Payton is not going to clear this thing up in one season. I don't. Yeah, the the fact that he's still being allowed to make all these decisions time and time again, it's he's unfireable right now. I mean, that's the he has that job till he decides that he doesn't want it anymore. Well, I think what you're going to see him do is hire somebody who is on the same page with him with regard to personnel, where he can get back to actually coaching. Uh, it's almost like in '81 when Whitey Herzog hired Joe McDonald to be the general manager. Uh, and he he told Joe what he needed, and Joe went out and got it. Uh, and you see those relationships. Uh, it happens a lot more than you think uh, when the guy has that double title. And I think that's what you're going to see with Sean Payton here in the very near future because he can't do everything. And it doesn't work most of the time. You think about what happened with the guy out in Seattle. Uh, um, oh, gosh, he was in Green Bay, the head coach in Green Mike Bay. Holmgren? Mike Holmgren. Yeah. Holmgren went out to Seattle. And had, he was everything out there with the exception of governor. And it didn't work. And I always remember John Madden saying, you know, he might want to be the general manager and be the coach. He said, but if he's not taking Brett Favre with him out to Seattle, it's going to be a little harder to win. But Nick Saban had all the, didn't he have, he had everything at his hands when he yeah. was in Miami yeah, and, it, and didn't want that, you know, at, at the end realized he didn't want all that power. He was better off. Running, yeah, he was better off running stuff down in college. Uh, the good in the NFL this weekend, Dolphins. They continue to impress uh, one of the uh, biggest offensive outbursts in the first five weeks of any NFL season. 
so far. Tyreek Hill, well on his way to 2,000 yards receiving, which has never been done before uh, out there. That offense has just looked like it is, uh, you know, pretty much non, it can't be stopped right now. And what they're doing there is, is really, really fun to watch. No, they have been delightful to watch. And uh, it, it's amazing. This time last year, everyone thought Tua was washed up. Uh, it's amazing when you get a little bit more protection, a few more weapons, because they run the ball as well as anybody, too, by the way. Uh, and their defense is really starting to come together. Uh, this is a team that can win that division. And, and they could be there for a while, because I think I, I think it's it's safe to say that the Buffalo window is starting to close a little bit. Uh, the Jets are going no place fast. You just talked about the New England Patriots. Uh, Miami could easily be a team that could run the table for three, perhaps four years. I, I think we're going to see a good rivalry between Buffalo and Miami. I don't think that window's closing just yet in Buffalo, but I think Miami's, I mean, they're, they might be taking a step or two down. I think they might just be e- evening out now yeah, for the next few good, years yeah. to where it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And I, I wonder, you, you mentioned the Tua being washed up. Was it that he was washed up or was that he was injury prone? I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, the concussion thing was a real concern because if you remember last year when he had that concussion, I was concerned. And I was like, Miami might want to go out and find a quarterback just to be on the safe side. Uh, they protect him better, that's for sure. And he's not taking his – he doesn't have to take as many risks when you have good receivers to throw to and a running back to hand it off to. He doesn't have to do it with the run like he did last year. So there's a lot of things that go into it with regard to his productivity. But, you know, he's one concussion away, man, from being done. And I think that's something that you have to have in the back of your head. And you have to ask yourself the question, if he goes down, and I I forgot who their backup quarterback is, is that a person that can continue, especially with the weapons he has to work with? The uh, And the reason I, br- I brought up the injury-prone thing, because we saw yesterday Anthony Richardson, the Colts' uh, rookie quarterback, who, when he's healthy and out there playing, he's a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But we've seen him now miss it, come out of a game with, with a concussion, miss a game because of a concussion, and now he has a shoulder issue for that. And I saw earlier today, I saw issues of, you know, he's done, he can't play, he's injured. And I did see a stat where somebody brought up the fact that Josh Allen missed a bunch of games his rookie year with an elbow injury. Matt, uh, um, who's the quarterback for the Rams now? Matt Stafford missed, I think it was 13 of his first 32 games because of issues too. That, you know, yeah, they're injury prone right now, but it is, it isn't something that's going to be a career killer for some of these guys that if they can get over it yeah, and, and find, you know, it, whether it is offensive line or whether it's just luck that if they can stay healthy, they could still have a really successful career, which it, it's I think called survivability Tua, yeah. Tua and, and maybe Anthony Richardson too. Well, here, here's what you have to take into account. Um, <clears throat> these guys who are taken early in the draft, which means their team isn't very good. The reason why their team isn't very good in a lot of cases, is maybe your offensive line isn't very good. So these guys take a lot of lumps early in their career because of that. And once you start to shore up things up front and all of a sudden things start to be a little better, uh, once you start to have a running game, once your passing game comes around, um, all of a sudden you don't get hit as much. And I think that's what we've seen in some of the guys you just talked about who have been able to survive that element of their career and, and move on into something else. 
So we have uh, one game left tonight. It's Packers and Raiders Monday night football. It seems like the NFL always schedules this for a Monday night in October. It, it always seems like. Well, it used to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be fun back then. I mean, you know, uh, the, the Raiders obviously move the needle no matter who they're playing. And when you think about the, the years when the Packers had Brett Favre and or Aaron Rodgers, they were always competitive. It was always a good matchup. But, you know, tonight I might be watching a little bit more baseball. I was going to say, you got two baseball games on tonight uh, along with the uh, along with the Monday night football game. So plenty of stuff to uh, to watch when we talk this time next week, Klabes, uh, who will be the four teams in the uh, league championship series in baseball? I'm going to say Philadelphia, Phoenix or Arizona. Oof. Um, Houston and uh, Minnesota. I'm sorry. Um, who's playing Baltimore? Texas. Texas. Houston and Texas. I agree with Houston and Texas. I'm going to flip on those other two. I think the Braves figure out a way to win that series uh, down there, and I think the Dodgers also. I think they just got too much offensive firepower. To you really uh, think that's it- the case, huh? I, I'm, I'm going to flip Dodgers? on those. Yeah, I'm going to flip. They, they won too many games in regular season to just to, okay. for us to look at a one bad inning in, uh, in that one. I don't know. You know, I will say this. There's no wrong answer here between the two of us. I could easily side with you. Um, I think the Dodgers have a couple of holes in their order that concern me. I mean, I'm not worried about Mookie or Freddie Freeman. They got a couple other guys that have Peralta's done well. But I think that they have some issues in certain areas that they have to shore up. Uh, that needs to be a little bit more consistent. But you know what? It's a coin flip. Either one of those teams could win it. I would not be surprised. But I, I, I like a little intrigue here. So I'm going to go with those other teams. What do you have coming up this week for Claves Online? Well, we're going to start off our pr- premiere with Jamal Mayers. That's going to start up on Wednesday as hockey season begins. Uh, we'll visit with Bob Nightingale and Howard Richards on Thursday to talk about some Major League Baseball and also uh, Missouri's plight going into Kentucky. And uh, it, we're going to probably drop the Cedric the Entertainer uh, podcast here fairly soon. And I, I would certainly enjoy – I enjoy talking to him. And we covered a lot of things. And, and you know, he he's funny even if he's not trying to be funny. He can say something that in a normal conversation he can take to the next level and level beyond that. And uh, so we cover a lot of things on that front. So I would hope everybody has a chance to check that out and I'm going to try and get healthy (laughs) until then. He is Mike Claiborne. I'm Joe Roderick. This has been the Ameren Illinois lunch show powered by gray bar and driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura right here on claibsonline.com. So what made you get involved in this program? I mean, you had multiple options, I'm sure, but what made you think that this is something you wanted to do? Well, um, I wasn't quite sure what kind of career path I wanted to take at the time. And I heard about the Painters Union and all the great things about it. Um, Basically, they put you through this apprenticeship. It's a four-year apprenticeship. And um, they teach you everything you need to know about the trade. So it was pretty hard for me to pass up once I heard that. Well, um, I think mostly it was just knowing that you know, 
they're, they're here to protect you, the union is, and uh, knowing that I was going to be able to take my time to learn, I was, it wasn't going to be one of those things where they're forced to, day one, jump right into it. And I think once I figured that out, I mean, I love the opportunity to grow, and I think that that's the best thing.